We've met him in person up in Boston at the Ski and Snowboard Expo. He is the sport, head of sports at the Boston Globe. He has a newsletter called It's All Downhill, which he puts out usually weekly, I think, during the ski season. Had a bit of a hiatus here in the summer. Yeah. Had a great time talking with him. We're going to see him in a few weeks at the Boston show again. Hopefully going to hang out with him. So here is our interview with our pal, Matt Pepin. If you want more information about him, at MattPep15 on Twitter. And we'll have a link to his newsletter. It's all downhill in the show notes. So we hope you enjoy it. Matt, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thanks for having me again, man. This is great. Join you guys. Always, uh, always good to talk with you guys. Yeah, it's been a while. I know, you know, you just had your latest issue of your newsletter. It's all downhill. It just came out. Was it yeah. last week or this week? Yeah, last Friday. Last Friday. And it had been a while since you put one out. Yeah. March, March 8th. Was that what you said in there? Yeah, yeah. March 8th was the last one because, um, oh my God, what a busy year between getting promoted here to the Red Sox winning the World Series and the Patriots winning the... Winning the um, Super Bowl and the Bruins going all the way to game seven of the Stanley Cup. We had just a whole lot of other things happen. But right around then, right before the last one was sent, one of our reporters passed away in Florida at spring training. And so that was, you know, just just a really difficult time for all of us. So, you know, my skiing kind of fell off the way and I had to do a lot of, you know, trying to replace people here at the office and just, you know, it was just a real difficult time for all of us. This guy with Nick Cafardo was beloved. I mean, everybody loved working with him. And so just, you know, had a health problem that cropped up at spring training one day, died, died doing what he loved, but, uh, we still, you know, yeah. So I remember you posting that and, you know, I think retweeting it and like, like, it's weird you say liking it, but yeah, you're kind of acknowledging yeah. it. And it's, did you do everything remote or did you have to travel a little bit? We had other people from our staff. We have 18 sports writers. So we had other people have to like shift off of what they were doing and go down there. And because normally Nick would have spent the whole, all of February and all of March down there. And he died on like February 22nd. Wow. And so, um, so we had to cover all the rest of spring training and then of course the season, cause you know, he was involved in all that too. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Just a lot of, a lot of shuffling and, and juggling or things around at a time when everyone was, you know, really rocked by that news. He was only, I think he was only 65. So. Oof. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, it's terrible. Yeah. And now I remember we first chatted with you last year and you were, you know, you just gotten promoted. One of the things we asked you was, Hey, does this mean more skiing or less skiing? Yeah. And I think we, I think you kind of had an idea that it would mean less skiing. And I think yeah. you know, just the, you were hopeful, I think. Yeah, I was hopeful. I think that it, um, I knew it would have an impact, but I did do certain things that like, you know, I made sure I got, I got some skiing in. like there was, you know, up here in the Northeast, it was a great, great early part of the season all through toward the end of November. One report after the other was just like building, building, building about how great the conditions were for so early. So finally, I was just like, you know what? I got to just take a day off and just zoom up to Vermont. So I went up to Mount Snow by myself for a day nice. and that was a blast. I love doing that kind of stuff. You know, I can get up early. I don't have to wait for anybody. I can jump in the car and leave when I'm ready to go. Yeah. And um, so I did that. And then, in fact, the day before the day before Nick died, I was actually on a ski trip with my daughter. It was her vacation week and we purposely planned it and we were worried about the weather that day and we would have had to push it to the next day, which, you know, that would have blown up for me if, if I had gotten that call when I was on the slopes, but it didn't. So, you know, so I got like six days in last year, which was which was decent, but a far cry from previous years. I tell you though, I'm a big fan of like skiing by yourself. I used to go, I haven't done it in a few years, but I used to go one day a year, every year I'd go by myself. And just like you said, you don't have to wait on anybody. You don't have have to hear anybody complaining, you yep. wait up for anything. You just do whatever the hell you want. You, you know, pick a place up. you want to eat. <laughs> exactly. Don't the demons also creep in your head when you do that though? You're like, you know, I could just leave everybody and just go move out to like Whitefish, Montana. And like, this could be my life. Well, like I get think those, about that, you know, those thoughts creep in my head whenever I have those great by myself days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not those. bad to have to consider that because you weigh it and then, and then you return home, you know? Yes. Right. This, this time. Yeah. This time. <laughs> this time. Right. 
Right. One of my one of my favorite, uh, and I, I've been talking a lot about this the past week. One of my favorite by myself ski days was it was 2017. It was up at Killington. It was March, so you think March things are warming up. It was so cold. I think it got to like maybe 10 degrees, and that was the day I got frostbite. Oh, and no. it was one of those the the first run up the hill. I went up Snowshed, and I uh, I usually leave my boots unbuckled to get to the top. So I went and I went to go buckle them, and I had a Camelback on, and I did not have the Camelback bladder properly closed. So when I bent down to buckle my boots, all the water just poured Ooh. down the front of me uh. and just instantly froze. Oh man! Instantly, and That's I had wonderful. I'm like. And I take my glove off to buckle my boots. I'm like, dude, I have to go inside already. I'm frigid. <laughs> but, you know, you kind of had to time it every 20 minutes, half hour. You go inside, you warm up, 10 minutes. You go, go in there. Out. You go in at that point. Nobody's bitching at you like, oh, let's do one more run. Like, dude, it was jammed up. Every lodge was just jammed with people because it was so cold. But I, it was by, so, you know, I kept doing that, kept doing that. By 2.30, I'm like, wow, I'm like, what a great day. I, I probably should start wrapping it up soon. I'm like, whoa. I can't feel my feet at all <laughs> back to the condo. You know, take the boots off feet by the fire. I'm like, my foot is pretty much in the fire and I yeah. can't feel my toes. So, oh, but oh, what a great day. The good, it off. Con- conditions yeah, were fantastic. Hey, you know, a little, you take aspirin. If you have, what they say is if you have frostbite aspirin, because it keeps the blood thinner and it keeps it flowing. So you don't get any, any sort of a uh, falling offness. Yeah. Yeah, that so makes Matt. sense. So Matt, so what's um what's been going on now? So you got your new newsletter out. How yeah, do people get? Yeah. How, how do you want to send people there? What's the best way to, for them to get to it if they haven't subscribed yet? You know, I'll, I'll have to put it back on my. Uh, I'll put it back on my Twitter profile. I um I had taken it off because I felt bad about not being able to do much. You know, but like I said, the Bruins were like you know from the end of April all the way into uh, you know July. Whatever, I mean June, whatever it was. It was just a lot. And then I went on a pretty, you know, I did get away for like an 18 day vacation, which was really nice. Nice. But but I felt bad about not sending any newsletters. So I didn't want people to sign up for something they weren't going to get. So I took it off of there. But I I can do that or I can send it to you if you want to put it in the show notes for the link. Yeah. Yeah, we um we try to send it out every couple of weeks to just keep keep reminding people. Um, And you you can be followed at at Matt Matt Pep 15 on Twitter. Right. Uh, do you do any other socials or is that the one you kind of focus on? I mostly focus on that for a public facing, uh, you know, public facing social media. I have Instagram, but I don't really use it that much. I just kind of, I just kind of look at what other people post on Instagram. Um, and Facebook, I keep strictly private, you know, just for, just for people I, you know, I know and like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Follow at Matt Pep 15 on Twitter. And uh, yeah, we'll have the link in the show notes too. So yeah, the latest issue came out or the, of the newsletter. And have you started making your plans now for your, your yep. upcoming season? Now, you know, last year was tough. You know, you had work was busy. You had the promotion, but I guess you kind of got a lot of the things in place now, right? So that yeah, can, I feel like really the and knowing, you know, knowing all the people I'm in charge of, I feel a lot more comfortable. I just brought, I'm, I'm finally at full staff. I just brought on a new assistant and uh, a couple of other people onto our staff. So we're at full staffing capacity and I feel pretty good about it. And so I, you know, I pitched a couple stories for um, the Globe's annual snow sports section. It's called chill. It comes out right before the Boston ski show. So I'm going to, I'm, I've already started working on a couple of those. One of them is going to be, um, it's going to be new England's best ski trails as rated by new England's best skiers and snowboarders too. And so I have a, a pretty long list of people I've reached out to to ask them for input for this, you know, and, and the criteria is they have to, you know, either live here or be from here. I'm going to try and include Michaela Schifrin because she uh, uh, she has family here. And also, you know, she was a Burke Academy grad up in Vermont. And that's where she did a lot of her early race training. So she's a decent of, skier. Yeah, we kind of adopt her as a uh, we kind of adopt her as a New Englander, you know, in name only or whatever. So, you know, a good list of uh, people, not just, not just racers or competitive skiers, but, you know, other people who are, who are famous for one reason or another, you know, like locally, they, maybe they own a mountain or maybe they're just, you know, the kind of people who have been involved in the business for a long time. You know, like one of the people I reached out to was, um, 
Jack Edwards, who's uh, the Bruins play-by-play guy on New England Sports Network, and he calls all the Bruins games. Avid, avid skier who I always every anytime we are talking, it's about skiing and you know oh, nice. not really hockey or sports at all. It's just about that. So, so that one should be a lot of fun. I was thinking about doing like a. Um, a review of New England ski area websites. I think that would be kind of fun. I mean, it's kind of like Ah, worlds colliding, you know, I obviously have worked in digital media for a long time. So those kind of ideas. And then I'll do some, I'll do some first person stuff too. I have some trips planned. My buddy and I just finalized our plan to uh, go on our annual trip. So this year is going to be smugglers notch in Vermont. The notch. Oh, very nice. Yeah, I've never been there, so I'm really trying to work on my bucket list, and uh, that's one that I can I know I'll be able to check off because I'm already locked into a little nice. getaway up there. Yeah, we now are they part of any of the passes? Uh, I don't think so. No. no, I don't think so. But there was but there was a great deal. You know, I always end up spending a lot of like late August and September surfing all around looking for looking for deals and what's available so that, um, you know, like we have some options for my buddy and I to consider. And, uh, yeah, I didn't really notice much on their website. I, I think that they're, I think that they're pretty much independent. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know of any past deals or anything like that. Yeah. I'm just, I'm hitting up their website right now and I don't see anything on there. So yeah, perhaps they are still independent. But it was a good deal. They have they have slopeside condos and they have like ski and stay packages, which is what I wanted, you know. And so that works for me. Nice. Yeah, me and Mario, we went there once. Now oh, this yeah. was this was the train wreck winter of fifteen sixteen. Oh, horrible. And we were up Conditions. there before Christmas. Uh, yeah, it was before the week before Christmas, and we—that's kind of like how this whole podcast came about. I know we've talked about it before. Like that 2014-15 year was so great. We did like a whole week up that Killington, just hanging out, and decided like we should just talk about this kind of stuff on a podcast. So we repeated it, thinking we'll have the same luck with snow in De- in that week before Christmas, yeah. and it was like the train wreck year. So we drove all the way up to... Uh, we, we stayed in Killington, then we did like a little side trip up to the Smugs in Burlington, and we got there and there was, I think, three trails open. Oh, man. We were like one of like six or eight people on the, on the mountain. Tops. Yeah. It was it was bad. And then, so one thing you'll see when you go there, they have this, this lift, and it's one of those like funky New England lifts where you kind of have to know when to get off. Otherwise, the thing just kind of like spins back around. <laughs> one of those old school ones. Yeah, sure, I know those. Uh, and we just kind of like both stayed on the lift like way too long because we thought it was like a mid you know midpoint where you can get off and we're like oh crap this is the end and by the time you realize it you're already past the you know the exit point so the guy laughs at you and you know yeah yeah, luckily he was just smoking pot and he's been there alone and no one else was waiting to get off so it wasn't a big deal to back it up and let us pop off and he's probably like oh shit here come some people yeah exactly exactly jersey's here i'm sure it happens all the time there though (laughs) yeah Again, we only did it that one time, but now they have that, that, um, the only triple black diamond in new England, right? Yeah. I saw that on their map. Yeah. I've never been there. We were, you know, we were just eager to, like I said, find somewhere new and find some place that had, that had good deals. And, and, uh, you know, when I first looked at the map, I thought, oh, we're going to drive right by Stowe on the way up there and on that, on route 108 or whatever it is. But then I come to find out. I, I was worried that driving by Stowe was going to get us all geeked up for like a big giant place like Stowe. Yeah. And, uh, and we were going to be like, Oh, and now we're only going to smugglers. But, um, but when I looked at their map, you know, they have three different peaks and, uh, it looks like more than enough stuff to keep us entertained. And I'm not too, too worried about the, um, snow conditions. Cause we're booked like absolutely in the dead of January, which is when I love to go anyway. So oh, yeah. yeah, I feel like they're going to have, they're going to have something decent for us. Well, funniest thing is, I think I asked last year, um, I was out somewhere, I think I was buying beer or something, and started talking to these guys, and I asked them, we were up by Killington, and I asked him, I said, um, so where's like, where's like the, the legit place to go skiing around here? I think it was when I was driving from Burlington, and um, I said, is it is it like Stowe or something? Like, ah, oh, they were like, Stowe, that's not a real mountain, that's like... That's a country corporate. club. Yeah. yeah, country. Right. Club, they were like, that place sucks. They were all like, they were going off on it. I was like, whoa. So it's interesting. So you're better off at, at Smugs. I came to find out after I received my reservation confirmation that they have a little note at the bottom. It's like, oh, by the way, 
Uh, make sure you look at a map before you come up here because you can't just go up Route 108 through Stowe because that road gets closed in the winter. You got to go like all the way around. So yeah, they closed that pass probably like November or so. Yeah. And yeah. you know, we, you can you can see it if you drive up to Stowe. Like it's if you know when you go there and you you know there's like each the resort is on both sides of the road there, and if you kept going straight, you'd go through it. But yeah, that's when they shut that down. So right, you have right. to take the uh the if you went all the way up there thinking you're going to go through and get to Spugs, you're uh you got an extra hour of driving that you didn't intend to do. Yeah, but right. the nice thing is you could stop at Alchemist and get a couple beers. Yeah, uh, that's on know, the agenda to make it up for it, which is good. Yeah. A lot of good breweries up there for sure. Oh, it's yeah. getting crazy how many it's funny how like I remember going to Alchemist in like twenty twelve and it was like the big deal then. It's like, yeah. oh my God, that's before they had the uh the flooding and they shut down their original Waterbury location. Yeah, yeah. And now it's like Heady Topper. Yeah, it is what it is. Everyone gets it. Find out Heady Topper and Sip of Sunshine was like if you got your hands on it, it was like gold. It was like finding, you know. Yeah. A rare find, and now it's like it's a lot of places now. It's different, right? Yeah, during our smugs trip that year, that was we just since we couldn't ski much, we turned into a beer adventure. So yeah. we just made sure we checked where all deliveries were and stopped. And now you can get sip of sunshine at Penn Station in New York. That's how times have changed. Yeah, yeah. It's you get it all over Massachusetts now too. Yeah, they yeah. changed their distribution now, and it's just it's almost like uh, getting Coors Light. It's yeah. just that easy. Pretty much, pretty much. If but I know what you're talking about, about, uh, about Hetty Topper, because right around the time you were saying 2012, maybe 2011, I can remember people saying in the office, yeah, I'm going up there. I'm going to bring back, you know, some beer or whatever. And, uh, you know, you'd ask them to get you some. And then on the weekend that they're up there, you'd be texting them like, hey, did you get the stuff? You know, <laughs> it was like, you were, you know, it was like the guy was going up there to get you a bag of weed or something. <laughs> yep, that's <laughs> yeah. true. <laughs> like oh man sorry i drank it all it's like yeah, right, oh, right. useless <laughs> you sorry they only gave me like one can it's like what dude like they rationed it you know yeah <laughs> my first time at Stowe, i found one can at this little uh little mini mart on that yeah. mountain road there and then yeah. Yeah. now they have their whole brewery there it's just changed so going to lawson's lawson's is that's a nice and right across like a, a tenth of a mile away is uh Mad Taco, Mad right? Taco. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've heard you guys talk about that place. Oh, and sometimes they have double sip on tap there. It's crazy. Oh, nice. Yeah. All right, that double sip is really good if you can get your hands on that. Great tacos there. When I did the um when I did a newsletter all about like favorite dining places on the way to and from ski areas, Mad Taco came up over and over again. Many people oh, did it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they have one in Montpellier now. So that, and I think that's fully built out. Uh, it started out as just like a little, a little one that they were trying to, you know, build up. And now I think they're, it's all fully, so it's, it's spread around. So now they have one up in what, uh, what is that? Waitsville? I think it's Waitsfield or Warren? I think Waitsfield. Warren. Waitsville. And then they have the other one in, uh, Montpellier, which mm. is nice. So depending on where you're going, you could drive through and it's like right downtown. So yeah. Yeah, you mentioned Stowe before, and like I think that we just there was an article last week, maybe two weeks ago, we were talking about it was like the best, like the most legit ski towns, and they mentioned Stowe, and that seems like one of the ones that's it's it probably can be contentious, you know, if you're, I guess if you're affluent and you're an Epic Pass person and you've got a house there, like I'm sure you'd love the town, and the town itself is so cool, it's beautiful, yeah, classic New England town, you know, a lot of the the places that have been there forever, but then it's like I guess yeah. in the New England, like what else would you compare it to? Yeah, I don't know. Honestly, it's been so long since I've been there. Anyway, I kind of I, I wouldn't really know from from my memory. I, I don't think I've been there since like the early nineties. So. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, just because, you know, circumstances almost always kind of go against us for one reason or another for going that far up into Vermont, you know, cause you can easily get to like Okemo or Killington or Pico or places like that. And, and in New Hampshire, you could go to Loon or, um, you know, even Waterville Valley or Gunstock and be, you know, be a much quicker drive. So almost always I I've, I've gone to those places and, and other places were like the, were like the ones where we went for overnight trips. So it's hard to say really, you know, what would be the number one ski town in the New England area? Do you think? What is it? Like, what do you think in your estimation would be like the number one ski town? Hmm. I don't know. I really like Lincoln, New Hampshire for sure. You know, I think Lincoln's pretty cool. I think the area all around Killington is pretty cool. 
Yeah, probably. I think I think one of those two. I think Lincoln, New Hampshire is great. I'd love to have a house up there, but man, the, the real estate prices are skyrocketing mm. up there. But the way that they're building up Loon, and you can just drive, you know, not too far, and you can be at Cannon, you can be at Bretton Woods, you can be at all those all those mountains over in and around the Mount Washington Valley. So <clears throat> I, I like that that place a lot. Yeah, I guess it's one of those weird things, too, because you think about New England and skiing versus, you know, you go out to Colorado, you know, you go out there, you go, you got Breckenridge, Vale, Aspen, Telluride, those areas, you know, they're more, you know, set up. Yeah. And, you know, you can live in Denver or you can live an hour and be in Breckenridge or a basin while in the in Northeast, it's kind of tough because, you know, your mountains, it's almost like you have to go further and further North to get to the, the best possible stuff. Yeah. You know, it's not like an hour from Boston, you're going to be at J peak. Right. You know, there isn't that particular mountain. So it's almost like you have to dedicate yourself to, you know, do I want to be, have a place local and make it easy to get to, or do I want to go to the best possible spot and commit myself to that four five, six, you know, depending on where you are, hour drive. Right. Right. Yeah. The driving, the driving for me is a huge part of it. So, you know, I generally tend to only do one or two overnight trips a year. And a lot of those are, are, you know, I, I really like to look for, if I'm staying there, I like to stay right on the mountain. So, you know, I like, I like places like Sunday river, which has a grand hotel, two grand hotels right at the base of different areas, you know, so you can walk right out and you're skiing and Sugarloaf is the same way. And, you know, obviously Killington and places like that are uh slope side accommodations. So to me, the town isn't quite as much of an importance as it is like sort of like the base area village, you know, like Okemo has that nice Jackson Gore area with that. That's a really nice base area. And um, I don't, I mean, I'm just judging by a map, but it sure looks like the, uh, the, the base village, which is I'm not sure which, which peak of um, smugglers it's at, but that looks like a really nice base village with a lot of amenities and whatnot. So that's kind of how I judge ski areas more, more than the surrounding town, you know? Yeah. yeah it makes and, a big and, difference. Uh, little towns on the way, like, you know, Dover, West Dover, Vermont is really cool as you drive up to Mount Snow cool and, and those areas in that, in that region, you know? Yeah, even is it Wilmington, the one that's like right at the corner there of 100? Yeah, yeah I guess it is. Yeah. So yeah, you're still about 15 minutes out, but yeah, there's a lot of little shops and restaurants and bars yeah. and things you can do down there. And brewery I guess there? there's Breweries. a, I think there's a brewery there and that's where, you know, a lot of people yeah. will stay if, if they can sometimes on the mountain costs a little bit more. So people would decide to stay off and they, you know, they've improved the transportation services there. But yeah, I know exactly what you're saying, Matt, like when you're actually on the mountain, it just, mm-hmm. it does feel, you feel more like engrossed in the scene. You know, yeah. you're, more, you're part of the mountain then. I just like the isolation too, you know, like the idea of like this, this sort of like contained community, you know, and, and the mountain is like, you know, it's got sort of like this pulse of the mountain, but then the businesses and whatnot have this whole other vibe. So I just, I just like that lifestyle. Like I love to, you know, have dinner and then just go wandering around for a little while with my buddies and that'll be, you know, that's really enjoyable. Maybe we walk up up a little bit of the slope or something like that, or maybe we, you know, walk around and find a bar to have a, have a late night drink at or something. But, um, but to me, that's part of the, that's part of the charm of, of staying right there is just, you know, really never having to get in the car from the time you get there. And I like that, you know, park the car, go do your stuff. And then when it's time to go jump back in the car. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, it's like the opposite is when we went to uh, like Snowbird, you're there and you don't have to drive anywhere, but there's really nothing to do. So you're just kind of trapped. It's almost like you're snowed in like the entire time you're there. It's weird. A little bit. Yeah. But one of the greatest things, like I always try to take a couple of Mondays off during the ski season and there is nothing to me better than a Sunday night dinner in a ski town because all the riffraff has gone back to Jersey and New York, you know, you can, it's not crowded. It's a little more laid back. All the locals are out. Like, it's just, it's so nice. And that vibe and that feeling. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to be up tomorrow. First thing, getting tracks and you know, it's, it's going to be a third of a third as crowded as it was the day before, you know, it's just, there's, I, I love that so much. It's like my favorite thing in the world. That's what we do. We book, we book a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday deal. 
and it's, even better. <laughs> it's almost all, it's always awesome because you know, great. not a whole lot of people there who are um, getting in your way or whatever. It's certainly no, you know, far cry from a weekend crowd. So we just love it. Cause we, you know, we'll get up and get first chair and then ski to the last one. And, you know, when you're all done, you don't have to go anywhere. It's not like you're facing this three or four hour ride back to the city. That's great. It's a big difference. Yeah. All right. So now you mentioned a little bit earlier, the ski and snowboard expo. Yeah. So that's coming up. That's only what a uh, six weeks out maybe. Yeah. I think it's pushed back a little bit this year. Um, and I'm not sure why, 17, but um, 17, right? Probably because maybe, maybe because Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is late this year too. Yeah. Late. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit later. Um, I know I put it in the newsletter. I just can't remember because there's, you know, November 14th through 17th. Yeah. Right. 15th through 17th, 14th through 17. Yeah. 14th through 17th. Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And we've already, we've already committed. We've got our, uh, we got our names on the lists. We got our hotel booked. So we're in and we're going to come up on the Thursday this time instead of Friday. So we have an extra day, you know, to do some meetups and to hang out and to, to take part in all the, cause you made it seem like a lot of the good stuff happened Thursday night and Friday afternoon, which like, Oh, you guys are here now, but all the cool stuff already happened. (laughs) Well, I can tell you for sure that, um, Usually on a Thursday, the ski associations have little get-togethers for skiing media. And uh, last year I skipped them, but in the past they've been pretty good because they all have a representative come and, um, you know, they, they talk about what's new or the differences at their place. But it's great because you can just ask them any questions you want. You know, for you guys, you could you could line up, you could get six shows knocked out in two days up there <laughs> by uh, doing interviews yeah, like that. So, so they, they do do that. And then, and then, yeah, that first Friday is, um, is cool. There's, uh, you know, like the first people into the show tend to get, you know, a lot of, a lot of the best stuff. Everyone's got a lot of energy by the end of the show. I think, you know, the exhibitors, are, you know, yeah, had- we went, we, had a, we went Sunday morning last year also. And yeah, people were just kind of just beaten down, packing up. Some people left yeah. Saturday night, you know, so yeah. it depends it's it's a fun thing as you know we met there last year so hopefully we can get together for a beer again that'd be great oh yeah definitely definitely. we'll definitely make it happen and like i said we're going to be up there early so we'll have a little extra time and i i think we have smarter accommodations this time too you know we had it right across the street where are we still it's not like last time we had to drive and we were Mm -hmm. in like saudi and it was just it was a really nice really nice condo that we stayed in but it was just kind of a bit off the beaten path sure we learned our lesson last year we had the worst uber ride ever which dumped us out at trillium but not the new trillium the old one that didn't exist anymore pouring rain and then the uber driver's like oh i got another fare to pick up so i can't you know kick you back and we were just drenched and i walked all the way to the um i walked all the way to the train station after that night and i got drenched i was i was uh, on the train on the way home that night but it's fun. It fun anyway this is the last year that that um ski show is going to be in the seaport convention center though next year it shifts downtown to the heinz convention center and oh. um that's in the back bay area kind of sort of like as you go toward fenway park okay. so just okay. FYI, just FYI for the following year in 2020, it'll, it'll move. Cause I think last year, remember the guy I introduced you to Bernie Weixel, who's the, yes. uh, yeah, he runs, he runs the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that whole seaport convention and expo center is going to be torn down to make a new high rise there because everything over in the seaport is being built up, you know, glass high rises everywhere. And that all that real estate is like, you know, primo value so wow. he had was the, so he much construction going on last year yeah like that was amazing i know i you know after being there i was like wow this is a really nice area and i was talking to some you know some folks that we know that are from the area and they're like dude that used to be nothing you yeah. see warehouses and just un you know unwanted kind of area and then you know when you once you the city starts booming and they do look for anything then you're by to, to build up and and that area really well benefited i guess from that Totally. And now like, you know, like a, like a, like a 50 square foot plot of land will go for a million bucks. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm just making it up, but you know what I mean? It's, it's primo real estate. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Every little, every little speck of ground is worth big dollars. 
Yeah. No, it was, uh, it was really fun. And yeah, I guess you, you really don't know what to expect. You know, it's always funny when you go somewhere, especially in a city, you kind of picture in your head what you think it's going to be like. And it was nothing what I expected. It was like so much nicer and newer and like really, yeah. really fun. So yeah, we're looking forward to going back and, and doing a little bit more. Cause I felt like we were kind of a little frantic last year. We didn't have a, a great plan. And like I said, we were kind of, we were just winging it and we were rushing around. It was, yeah. it was kind of we we were a little bit all over the place and we stayed a little too yeah. far away. So we're trying to do a little more and, you know, hopefully meet up with some people and have some, you know, meet up with you again, of course, Matt and yeah, have some drinks and, you know, just, uh, enjoy it more instead of being so frantic. And I remember parking my car in the, gar- the parking garage there being like, and going back and it was like, there's nobody here. I'm like, am I going to get my car back? I had no yeah. idea. I thought perhaps I would be stuck in there till Monday, but <laughs> lo and behold, there was no problem. Lo and yeah. behold. Lo and behold. Yeah. So that's coming up. So we're excited about that. Um, Always a good time. Yes. Now, did you make it to that crashed ice event at Fenway back in February? Uh, so I did not go to the event itself, but I did go a couple nights before they gave us a tour of everything. Oh, and, nice. uh, so I was, so I was up on top of the, the right field deck where all that started. And I was, um, and, and down at the base because it finished at home plate or where home plate normally is. Right. That was a pretty amazing thing. I mean, I remember a few years ago, they, uh, they did big air in that, in that same stadium. And right. that was pretty impressive, but this was even more so just because it was such an elaborate, it was like, you know, it was like putting a roller coaster inside Fenway park and um, it was such an elaborate setup and took a lot. And I don't think they got a tremendous response for it either. I don't think they sold a whole ton of tickets, but. Oh, oh really? Wow. Yeah. But, um, but it was interesting, you know, and now I saw that um, you guys probably saw this too, that they're going to do big air uh, in December at SunTrust Park in Atlanta. That's going to be crazy. Oh, really? Yeah, I think you you posted it a few weeks ago, right? Yeah, I tweeted about it because um, I knew that the U.S. ski team was making an announcement, and I kind of put two and two together pretty early. I figured what was going to happen. Um, and yeah, and so they announced that they announced that at SunTrust Park that they were going to do a big air event there. They still had not figured out the snow problem, like Tiger Shaw, the president of the U.S. ski team. <laughs> Even said that he's like, eh, we haven't we haven't gotten there yet, but we'll figure it out. We'll figure it all but out. You, shit, the, you know the um, the Winter Classic is going to be in Dallas at some point. So uh, yeah, I this year and next, I think it's this coming year. Then they Winter do it at uh, Dodger. They did it at Dodger Stadium in like April, right. didn't they? Right. The Ducks and the Kings. So I mean, they can put ice anywhere, and and I figure they can they can make this work. But it will be nice. That's a beautiful stadium. I went there in June for a conference and we went to a to an Atlanta Braves game. And I mean, absolutely awesome ballpark. So nice. Great, a great venue to do something like this because they have all the infrastructure built around it with like shops. They actually have a craft brewery, some some brewery that's based in Athens, Georgia. And um, you know, the lots, terrapin? lots of activities. It's really good. What'd you say? The terrapin? Yeah, I think it was actually. Yeah, oh, the nice. terrapin. The Terrapin Tap Room. That's what it was. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Very yeah. cool. So, yeah, December 20th through 22nd. So yeah, have to keep a lookout for that. Yeah. Yeah. That should be an interesting one. Any insight as to why they chose Atlanta? You know, I don't know. It's a, it's a really good question. I, I am not sure. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, big cities that they want to get, a, you know, develop some fan base and get yeah. exposure. Because I think... When they did last year, when they were doing the crashed ice, they picked Fenway because it was just such a big area, kind of yep. like what they started doing with the Women's World Cup up at Killington. You right. got that big metro area and you just get a ton of, you know, a ton more people interested in the sport, at least. Yeah, that's actually what you mentioned. You're, I think you're right on. I think that a lot of times they pick, you know, big and iconic venues as a way of elevating the sport because the novelty of where they're putting it on, you know, draws in the casual viewer who might be like, Oh, what the hell's going on here? Right. You know, I mean, I remember when they did the America's cup, they do the America's cup challenger series and they started doing that right. Um, right between New York and New Jersey, yeah. right by Brookfield place. And when I was working at time, we were right there and I was like, this is amazing. Cause it was like, because you got the big cities there, everybody's crowded around and it's like a stadium setting for something like that. And it's just getting more people to be able to look at it. And I think they were going to Chicago, like all these big cities that they were going to have that just to get exposure. So it's good for the sport, you know? 
where where you do things, I think, is really important in sports. And a lot of sports have been willing to go think a little bit outside the box. Like, you know, the U.S. ski team did, you know, stadium, stadium big airs like they're doing. And then, you know, like to have the World Cup at Killington, like you were saying, Mario, was, um, I think, a great move because there was nothing on the East Coast in terms of like high level, high level ski racing. And actually, you know, I've been thinking about like a potential story the globe could do surrounding that would be you know so now i think we're four years into the world cup being at killington and so i wonder if there really is any appreciable or or quantifiable results from that like in terms of is ski school enrollment up or is is like ski racing school or or is like you know our ski racing programs enjoying what they wanted which was to increase the exposure and maybe attract you know, a significant population base into a sport that they might not otherwise have done unless, you know, unless they heard about it through word of mouth, as opposed to like the big media, you know, broadcasting and showing the world's best skiers at, you know, a mountain, which is basically in your backyard. Yeah. I mean, we talk about it all the time. Cause like anytime, like I've been to Europe, you see posters of Michaela Schiffer and all over the place. You come here, you see posters of football stars, baseball stars. It's different. You know, you hardly see her around. Um, and it, you're, you're very proud as an American to go overseas. Cause you're like, Hey, is an American icon, but it's weird back in America. You don't see that. So I also yeah. wonder if the Olympic programs, um, hopefully get a boost from, from events like this too, you know? Yeah. Support. Yeah, I think ultimately, I mean, it would be interesting to, to like study like where people are from on like the ski team rosters over the years and how many. I mean, New England has certainly had its share of great ski racers, you know, Bodie Miller and Julie Parisienne and, and skiers like that have uh, have been, you know, famous on the U.S. ski team. But it would be interesting to see, you know, the overall numbers of where. American ski racers come from, you know, obviously it's going to be heavily skewed toward the West because of the length of the season and the size of the mountains out there and the quality of the snow, but, right. you know, but it's gotta, it's gotta increase. But even like, even like the big leagues, like you were saying, you know, you see football and baseball all over the U S but even those sports, they want to have an international reach. So they do things like what they did this summer, which was they had the Red Sox play the Yankees in in uh, London at yeah. London Stadium, or you know. So uh, you know, did you get to go to that? What's that? Did you get to go to that? I did not, but I sent three people to it. <laughs> <laughs> How's that Aaron Spirit? Right? My whole job now is just telling other people what to do. Yeah. How's that expense report? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got some questions on that one, but a lot of meat pies, right? Well, we're fortunate for the for the the four primary teams that we cover: the Red Sox, Patriots, Bruins, and Celtics. We have a pretty good travel budget for them. Yeah, so, well, well, they all, do, that, um, all that postseason uh, activity that all the teams have too. Yeah, yeah. That's we actually account for one championship appearance every year in our budget. Look <laughs> at that, getting cocky now. I know, unbelievably arrogant, but. I now, think, do you also I think cover... the Mets beat reporters do that too in New York. <laughs> right. do, you, do you also cover the uh, the international soccer that they have at Fenway? Because they have one game every year, yeah. right? Or two? Yeah, well, you know, John Henry owns Liverpool anyway. And that's yeah. what played there this summer. It was Liverpool against AS Roma. Oh, and, nice. um, but they have them at Gillette Stadium too. They had Chelsea. Chelsea FC played the Revolution in like a friendly game. So... Yeah. Because I saw a friendly in Yankee Stadium when they first opened it, and I was like, "This is a great idea." Yep. And then I realized, looking at the schedule, like they're having friendlies in all like the baseball stadiums yeah. you know, around the country, yeah. which is neat. The New England Revolution played uh, NYFC in September at Yankee Stadium. Oh, cool! Yeah, right. one of the games on their schedule. We've we've been definitely been paying a lot more attention to the Revolution now that they're good. They have Bruce Arena as their coach, and they've made yeah. the playoffs. Uh, they're probably due for a championship too, right? <laughs> we'll see. Do you guys have a uh, lacrosse uh, major league lacrosse team too? They're actually in the uh, the major league the major league lacrosse semifinals and championship game are this weekend, and uh, the Boston Cannons are one of the four teams. There you go. Oh, right? Hey. How about that? XFL? XFL's coming next next year. <laughs> XFL? Yeah, I don't think we have that. But <laughs> yeah, wait, wait for the expansion. Up, right? Wait for the expansion. That's when they'll move to Boston. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That might be a tough road. I I actually did go. I went to a Boston College football game on a Friday night and it was nowhere near sold out because college sports just tend to kind of 
float below the uh, the highest level here in Boston. That's just the way it is. Except for yeah. hockey, though, right? Hockey, it's 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 there's there's probably more interest in in college hockey, but even that is not quite as not quite as popular as the pro teams. This is definitely a pro town. Yeah. Well, yeah. again, too, when, you, when all your pro teams are super competitive and yeah. battling for a championship, it makes a big difference. Yep. So six days you got in last year. What do you think your prediction is going to be for next year? Oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be at least double digits. I think I got to go a few more times. I just have some ideas, too, of like ways that I can kind of double up a little bit of... You, know, you have to work on the weekend day trips or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Doing some like newsletter research and whatnot that I can that I can kind of double up with um, you know, my personal interests. So I think I'll I think I'll go more frequently. There's still a bunch of places I want to hit, like I was saying. Like there's a there's a mountain that's not too far from here in Maine called Shawnee Peak I want to go to. There's um and there's some other smaller ones that I've just just never been to for whatever reason. So well, if you're going to come up with a comprehensive list of New England skiers, I think you have to visit them all. First-hand yeah. knowledge, right? What's that? First-hand knowledge. You have to you know, share that first-hand perspective with everybody. Yep. Yeah, I wrote about that a few years ago. I did my New England bucket list because I kind of did this assessment of like all the areas and the ones I've been to and what's left. You know, some of them I left off because they were just so small. Like, you know, there's... I mean, some of them I skied, but like there's a place in Connecticut called Mount Southington that's just like a little hill. Even in Rhode Island, there's one that I've never been to, but wow. you know, those are like, would I be crushed if I never made it to those? Probably not, but... Is but Camp you know, Gaw on your list? Is what? Right, Brian? Camp Gaw? Camp Gaw. <laughs> that's the one that's... There's two... I think it's got... No, it's got two lifts and maybe like six trails, but you know, yeah. the little guy, he's turning... He's two, so he's going to be about, you know, almost two and a half during snow snowboarding and skiing. I, uh, that's going to be our, our little weekend destination. I'm going to get them up there at least a half a dozen times. And, you know, yeah. it's one of those things like, you know, you, do you want to make the trip all the way to Vermont to have a, a kid to ski for 20 minutes and get upset and go inside? Right. It's like, no, I'm yeah. going to do that back home. And then we're going to ditch him with somebody. And then <laughs> me and Andrea will go up and yeah. do some real skiing. There you go. <laughs> I thought my kids in my backyard when I lived in Connecticut. I mean, we oh, lived, really? Yeah, we had a, we had a nice little slope in the backyard, and and we had bought um, you know these really small K two skis because we knew that the kids would be able to hand them down. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, we would go to very small ski areas and put them in lessons. I really, I truly believe that's the way to go. I mean, you know, going to a place like Killington and spending that much on a on a lift ticket and and everything it's a lot is a lot of money when I think you can accomplish a lot of the same goals, you know, going to smaller places and, um, and doing it in your backyard. You know, I, we would take them, I would go out in the backyard because for a long time I worked nights anyway. But, uh, so me and the boys would be at home and, uh, we'd go out in the backyard I'd get them all dressed up and lug them to the top of the hill. And I'd put a couple of ski poles, you know, and just say, okay, just try and go around these, you know, and cool. And they would, you know, they would do it. Sometimes they would fall, but I think they got their ski legs a little bit faster because we would just do it. And then, you know, if they got sick of it, well, we just walked right inside and there you go. Put on another episode of Bob the Builder. There you go. You're not three <laughs> hours away. You have to go on a car ride and everyone's miserable and upset. Yeah. 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 That's it the was, way to do it. It's what I tell almost everybody, like just find inexpensive equipment at a yard sale or, you know, ski swap. I that went to a ski swap and they got... John yeah. got like stuff for his, his daughter and son cheap. So yeah, yeah. I've had I've given I've given some to my sister. I've given some to other friends. I still have like some small boots and some small helmets and stuff like that. That um, I'm just going to hand out whenever I can because it's just I'd rather it get used in. I don't care if people ski over rocks or whatever. Just learning how to do it, cross their tips. Who cares? Yeah. yeah, you're not getting kids like DPS carbon fiber skis for their yeah. first their first uh, foray into the sport. That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> I mean, they, just, they just need to get that balance and that sense of like the motion and dealing with it, and then you know, then they're good to go. Once they learn, then yeah, good luck keeping up with them. Yeah, right. and if you have extra ones laying around, Brian can share some blueprints with you on how to make an Adirondack chair. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Did you see any of my postings? I uh, I built an Adirondack ski chair. Well, oh really. I was, I was kind of the assistant. My my wife's uncle, he's a, a woodworker and he's uh, made dozens of Adirondack chairs. So last year I just got a whole bunch of we had a bunch of old old skis sitting around. 
some of them are actually two pairs of them are Mario's. One is Andrea's. One's her yep. sister's. And I'm like, you know what? Like, would you want to help me build that Adirondack ski chair? He's like, yeah, no problem. So Labor Day weekend, we finally got to it. And uh, it's actually sitting here in the studio. But since my camera's frozen, I can't show it to you, but I'll, I'll post some more pics. But it turned out so awesome. That's like, great. The only thing that sucks. I'm sharing my screen now. The only thing that sucks about it is that it's in my basement in New Jersey instead of being outside a deck overlooking yeah. a mountain in a ski town. Yeah, right, right. That's, that's the only negative to it. Here, there it is. Oh, yeah, nice. Is. Nice. Yeah, it turned out really cool. Uh, we've seen some of them online. They, they've they used the skis also for the part you sit in on the chair. Yeah. But we uh, we we were messing with that idea and we're like, yeah, it's, it wasn't as comfortable as having the contour of the actual wood. So, so what did that take? Four, four pairs of skis to make that? Three. Yeah, the um the arm right like, there, yeah. the arms are the back of those head skis on the outside. Oh, yeah. Those are my skis that I had for ages that I, I skied on them after doing a demo day at Killington and I was like, I got to get new skis. Yeah. I remember that day. You're like, yeah, these are awful. I'm buying these brand new skis now. <laughs> I was like, I can't ski on these anymore. They're unskiable. Well, I have some, I have some up in my attic that are, that are way, way older than those. I mean, holy shit. Like some old, <laughs> some old Rosies from the eighties. And I think my wife's, my wife's first pair that's up there somewhere are like Niesel. I don't even know if they make those anymore. Oh, wow. A-N-I-E-S-S-E-L or something like that. Oh, nice. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I've got my uh, my parents' old skis from the 60s down here in my basement. Yeah. And the boots. They're like, yeah, the boots are, um, they were made in Kitzbühel, Austria. And they're like, you know, the nice. old leather ones. Yeah, yeah. But I, I'm keeping them here because I'm like, when I get my ski house, I'm like, I am going to hang these skis up. So yeah. that's why I still have them around. I like I that. think you should ski them one day on a retro day. Oh, my God. I should like blow out my knee. <laughs> <laughs> like oh, I you thought of taking out my old my old Rosies would be the best ones to use on a retro day, and I I would love to like just feel the difference, you know, between the the, the Atomics I have now versus those old like whatever I don't even remember what what style what they were they were like yeah. old skis, you know, They're like two thirty fives, like super long, narrow. Yeah, maybe not that. Not shapes. <laughs> not shaped, not cambered. And you notice the difference, like those head skis were, they were just going straight. There was no yeah. turning. I was like, I can't turn in these skis. Yeah. Crazy. Isn't it funny? Like how, I mean, obviously in modern society, we're all getting a little bit soft in all aspects of life. But then you watch those videos of like Stein Erickson in like the sixties on those yeah. little tiny skis, just Fine like, down. it was like magical what he was doing. Yeah. Like, like we couldn't do that with the, again, the fanciest carbon fiber DPS skis. And he's just like, boop, 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 boop yeah. on those, on those twigs. Remember like the two twenties that people were skiing with and it was like, yeah. Hey, what do you got, bro? I got two twenties. And like things are huge compared to the things we, we ski on now. You know? I, know. I know it's the equivalent uh, of how much you bench, bro. <laughs> that's right. Relic of a former era. That's right. Big boards. I'm going to take them out this afternoon. <laughs> crazy i do i do like all that old stuff though there's a there's a ski shop near my house that i um where we bought all our equipment and they have a lot of uh old stuff on the walls it's fun to look at and then and then there's a great restaurant up near sunday river on their access road i forgot what it's called but it looks like an old like like a swiss chalet or something like that it's like a pizza joint and the entire interior is decorated with all kinds of skis old Nice. You know, 80s, 90s, everything, but but some really old stuff. It's just cool to look at and think about. It's amazing and terrifying to look at, right? Because you're like, they had to have some cojones to like strap those, like you know, yeah. like leather bindings. Like they're they're like lashing their feet to the that thing's not coming out. Like your right. your knees going with it if you oh, fall. Yeah, you know? What was cool? So this summer we went my my family and I we went to Norway because that's oh. where my my father in law lives there now. I remember so, you told me about that. Yeah, yeah. So we went to the the Holmenkollen, which is in Oslo. It's the the big ski oh, jump, and that's where they have the World Cup events. They've had mm-hmm. I think the Olympics in nineteen. I think it was sixty was there in Oslo, and they have this whole ski museum there, and it just shows the history of skiing in Norway. I mean. It was used for hunting. It was using for transportation, you know, all throughout their history. So they were showing old bindings and old skis and old poles, but they even had the skis of former champions that were there. So like, um, like Oscar Svindal and they had, um, the, so the, 
downhill skiers, cross country skiers, ski jumpers. They had all their skis there from the, you know, and you could just look at the ski and go, Oh, that was the nineties. Oh, that was the eighties because just the color, the design, the shape, the length. It's so, it, it, it really just shows that era. I mean, you know, if you're familiar with the sport, you can really pick it out. Yeah. It was cool though. It's cool old stuff for sure. But the old, I mean, the really old stuff, you know, from like the 1900s that they were showing, I mean, that stuff is crazy. It was almost, you know, it was almost if you were uh, an elite, you'd have a more ornate decorative ski with some sort of metal inlays and, uh, you know, more design versus like a more pedestrian one. It would just be a simple wooden plank. Yeah. Hmm. Bark on it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Literally just a piece of wood. Just put some wax on it and go down the hill. Yeah. It's it's just so ingrained in their culture. It's it's like you see the old ski poles and when they say, you know, the basket for the ski pole, it literally was a basket. Like like that's what it was. It's not just what they termed it. Yeah, there was actually a movie they did a couple of years ago, and I think it's on Netflix now. And they have this this painting. And again, because my free screen is frozen, I can't show you guys. And it's a painting they had there at the Holman Colon. And it's of these two Viking. Well, I guess they wouldn't be Vikings anymore, um, but they're protecting the king. It was like the, he was like a little baby and he was the last of the bloodline of the royalty. And the guy from Game of Thrones who played um, Tormund. He's the guy in the movie. It's actually like a Norwegian cask, cast, not cask, but they, um, yeah, it's about them protecting the, the, the royalty and the, the bloodline and they're, you know, at skiing and they're fighting in the snow on their skis. So pretty cool. It's yeah. amazing too. Like I remember, um, going to Italy, they had like the, uh, world war one tour mm. and you hear these stories about how they used to ski and fight in the mountains. You're like, I didn't know this was going on. You know, nobody talked about it, but they'd be fighting for years just in the mountains, you know, kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. That's the, whole, that's the whole origins of like the 10th mountain division in the United States that that whole division was created. They trained up in Vermont and they trained in Colorado and it was entirely for the purpose of like mountainous combat during world war two. Crazy. Yeah, and didn't wasn't a huge percentage of ski resorts founded by mm-hmm. veterans of the 10th Mountain Division? Yeah, yeah. That's cool. It was a great, a couple of years ago for the Army-Navy game, Army wore um, tribute uniforms that paid tribute to the, um, to the 10th Mountain Division. And so my assistant at the time, her brother worked at Nike, which made the uniforms. And he was able to, before anyone else got him, he got me a, a shirt that had the same, you know, it had like the same uh, design scheme and whatnot. And it's oh, nice. You know, nice. Vision. And it was commemorating the Army Navy game, but it was just a really cool way to, um, it was just a really cool way to honor that division. And, you know, obviously if you were a skier, you were interested whether you liked football or not, because it was just a, you know, patriotic and cool thing to do. That's very cool. That's yeah. really cool. We actually, I'm looking at a sticker we have here from the 10th Mountain Whiskey and Spirit Company out mm-hmm. in Vale. That place is pretty cool out in Vale. They got, it was founded by 10th Mountain Division as well. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's unbelievable that. And they, I mean, they, those people were responsible for cutting all the first trails and everything involved in skiing. But a lot of them, yeah, like you're saying, a lot of them were the ones who, either founded the resorts or they worked as the ski instructors or, you know, they developed ski schools. They really did a lot to boost the whole, the whole notion of skiing as a recreational pursuit in the U S. So I'm thinking we should all get embedded with the, uh, with the training with those guys. What do you think? Not a bad idea, right? Go train with them for like two weeks. That's a great story right there. They'll get you in shape. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> if we survive, if you want to see me crying like a little baby, <laughs> You know what I really want to do, but it's always contingent on a great winter is I really, really want to get into like, like checking out some backcountry skiing. I really have never done anything like that. And I know, I think it's up at Bolton Valley, which is another place in Vermont that I've never been. I think every year they have like a, um, like a, a ski race. That's, that's like that where you, where you climb and you descend. And, um, I forget exactly what they called it, but I remember someone sent me something on it. But it just got me thinking about how cool it would be to like, you know, just do your own thing to, to get up there and then ski down as opposed to just like lift served resort style skiing, you know, but I think that's a, you know, that's not only will it be like, you know, something you got to go up there for a weekend or a couple of days for, but it'll probably be pretty expensive. That's uh, that's definitely a red pill moment. I know when we first went out to Jackson hole and did that backcountry 
tour, I was like, oh my God, like this is so awesome. Because again, skiing is a blast. And so the first day we were there, you know, Mario and I were like little kids. We were so wiped out after two days because it was like trees, moguls, jumps, trees. We did moguls. everything the first two days and we were just yeah. wiped. We just yeah, like, ripped. We're cooked probably. Yeah. But then we did the back country. It's like, oh, cool. We're hiking up here. We're skiing down a bit. We're boot packing. We're going up. And you're like, oh, so this is why people want to go and do this. I mean, yeah. granted, it's got a, it's a whole different set of you know complications and you got to worry about avalanches. And you're a little bit more scared. Yeah. You're a little, you're a little apprehensive because in the back yeah. of your mind, like we could die today, you know? but it is kind of cool like you get away from everything you really do feel one with the mountain when you do that it's it's so so you definitely got to put that on your bucket list to do oh definitely yeah i know that there are some operators up in especially around like bolton valley i know that they had um when they when they mentioned this thing about this race that they had mentioned that they were tour operators or, or guides guide services that, you know, we're all inclusive. You pay one price and you get the equipment and a guide and, you know, the day's worth of whatever, you, whatever it is you do, the instruction and all that. So it's definitely on my list. I got to try it. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work too. I mean, you, you also makes you appreciate just being able to cruise down and pop up on a lift and go back up and have a beer in the gondola, allegedly maybe. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a different world, but it's, it's a lot of fun. It really yeah. is great. Yeah, I've been on trips where people that were part of the group, you just didn't see the entire trip. And then you found out they did backcountry almost every day. And they yeah. were like, yeah, we we were hiking for about three hours of the day. Uh, and then just that's kind of what they did every day. It was like, wow, you know? Yeah, I've really been th- I've actually really been thinking a lot about getting some cross country skis. I have a really, really old pair. But the only problem is they have like the toe boots with like the little tongue and they're starting to rip and tear. So it's not really a very enjoyable experience. So I was thinking about getting some new cross country skis because there's so much easy terrain around my house that there's like a big school complex that I can go to. There's a bunch of like old converted trails that I could go to that, you know, won't be plowed or anything. So I feel like I can get in really good shape that way. And then, you know, like in the spring, another thing I really want to do is go to, go to Tuckerman's up in um, at Mount Washington. Tuckerman's right. Yeah. Ravine. Yeah. Yeah. I really like it there. We almost made it happen this year. What's that? We almost made it happen this year. But uh I think it was that one weekend, but it had like was it two hundred mile an hour winds or something? Mm. And the uh didn't yep. they, the, their whole tower collapse up there? Mm. They had like a communication tower at the top that, that came down because of the crazy conditions they oh, I didn't know that, but uh, but I know that I know that it was it was crazy popular, but there were also a lot of incidents up there this year too, whether it was like people slid slid all the way down. Yeah. Couldn't arrest his, uh, couldn't arrest his uh, slide and, you know, landed in the lunch rocks there and stuff like that. I've I've hiked Mount Washington, but I've never, never at a time when I could go skiing there. So Mm. that'd be, that'd be pretty high on my New England bucket list too. Oh yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Every year we say we're going to do it and something seems to to happen every year, but you know, know. trying to, again, but you know what you're losing a year every year. So you got to make it happen sooner than later. What's that Warren Miller quote about if you don't do it now, you'll just be a year older when you do. When you're older. That's it. That's right. Yeah. All right. So we're coming up on an hour now. Uh, Matt, anything else that you want to share with us or share with the audience? No. (laughs) At, At Matt Pep 15 on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Anything you can do to promote that. And I'll do the, I'll do the same. You know, I must admit that, uh, my podcast listening has dipped a bit. I haven't, I haven't listened to your podcast in a, in a little while, but, uh, it's the summer. Man, we I understand. Can, summer. I can feel, you know, I'm, I bet you guys feel this way too. Maybe not you, Mario being in Florida, but <laughs> I, can feel, I can feel like, you know, the season approaching, you know, there was a day I was walking and the wind was really cold and I was like, Oh yeah, this is, you know, ski weather's coming. And except today when it's like 90 degrees out. Yeah. Right. But Mm -hmm. this is the last hurrah. It's dropping like 30 degrees in like three hours. Right. Last hurrah. Well, I'm going to be going over to uh, Europe in a few days and I'll get my dose of 50 degree weather. So it'll feel like it's coming. Yeah. But between all that stuff, I feel like, I feel like, you know, you can tell that ski season's right about here. So, you know, getting jazzed up about it. And I think that, you know, hopefully it'll be, hopefully it'll be better than last year. I mean, every individual time I went last year was fantastic. You know, I went with my daughter on a day trip. I went by myself, went with my buddy. Went. So there were a lot of, uh, a lot of cool days, but just 
not yeah. enough of them, you know? Well, it's the thing too. You, when they are limited in numbers, you do almost remember every turn you make because they are very unique and very special. So yeah, yeah, yeah. when it's, when it's unfortunate, it's not the numbers you wanted. It's the, the quality of the time and the, you know, the people you were with, that's what matters. So, right. Right. Like the last, one of the, one of the last times was I went with my daughter and we went to Stratton. I'd never been there. She really wanted to go because a friend had told her how great it was. I re- and this was, the, this was actually the last uh, newsletter, right? Last newsletter was like, all the all the the dumb stereotypes that I had known about Stratton were completely dispelled that day, and I would you know I would love to go back there. I think that was great. And then our last trip of the year was we finally got one day in March. We were gonna we were gonna go up to like Okemo or Killington, but then we were concerned about the weather and just a million complicating factors. We ended up just going to Ragged Mountain in New Hampshire, which is a really cool place. Um, inexpensive tickets. Two peaks. They have a six-passenger high-speed high-speed chair, and uh, so you know we went up there on a Saturday in March and had an absolute blast. My, just me and my family, and that was our last day of the year. So good oh, day. It's all about the quality of it. That's what's truly important. But you know, nothing wrong with being a little greedy, right? That's true. That's what keeps us coming back, though, right? Yeah, definitely. definitely. The quest for powder. <laughs> right. There's so Matt, snow falling out west already, so it's it's definitely time to look out for it. They yeah. got four feet in Montana. Crazy. September 30th. Yes. And hey, we got 90 degrees for right. a day. Exactly. <laughs> we'll be out there soon enough. So Matt, thank you. Thank you. Thank you again so much for joining us. At MattPep15 on Twitter. It's all downhill newsletter. We'll have a link in the show notes. You'll probably have it back up on your, your Twitter profile. Yeah, I'll put it up there. We will see you in the next couple of weeks at the Ski and Snowboard Expo. So we'll be hanging out. And uh, yeah, we thank you again for your time. Okay, great. You're welcome, man. And I'm looking forward to seeing you guys. Awesome. Yeah, have a good one. We'll keep All right, Matt. Take care.